0: Well, who are the people who have or are investing in you uh, as a person? Who are those who saw your potential and made a decision to help you grow or to get better? Maybe it was in your academic life. Maybe it was uh, in sports. Maybe it was in your professional life or your career, your job development. Maybe it was in your faith life. At your time of need, there was somebody there who extended a hand and gave you a lift up. A couple weeks ago, one of our church members, Tim Caldwell, shared uh, his story of, uh, of how a football coach spotted his abilities one day when he was playing football in the streets and recruited him to play football. Uh, even provided the equipment because his family had no money for that, and and then even transported him to and and from practice. And in so doing, this coach literally paved the way for Tim to go on to college, the very first of his family uh, to do so. What an impact this man had upon one life. For some of us here, that first person might have uh, been a parent or perhaps a friend or a colleague or a teacher. The book of Hebrews, uh, chapter 11, the author is talking about the faithfulness of the people of God throughout the ages, and, and he starts with Genesis chapter 1 and mentions some of the heroes of the faith, people like Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Moses. And the author talks about how they overcame difficulties and obstacles because of their one common denominator, their their faith. And they were all people who were faithful, and being human, they were flawed, and yet they all looked to the promise of God. In chapter 12, verse 1, he begins this way, therefore... Uh, Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. So in, in this scripture, the author of Hebrews compares Uh, the life of faith to a race. And he says the spectators are this great cloud of witnesses, all the saints that he has already named in chapter 11. Plus, of course, you can add on to that list what we call the church triumphant, those who have preceded us and received already their crown of victory, family and friends who've gone before us, people whose names we have read today. They are witnesses to the amazing grace of God who helped them to get through the most challenging race of their life. And he says, they are cheering us on. I think of my parents, Bill and Midge, who invested so much in my life. They not only provided for my physical, emotional uh, needs, they also did their best to provide for my spiritual needs. They brought me to the baptismal font when I was just a baby. They brought me to Sunday school and to worship and tried the best they knew how to be faithful to their baptismal vows taken on my behalf to nurture me in Christ's holy church. Sometime later in her her 40s, mother began to be unhappy with her spiritual life. She wanted something more substantial, something deeper, and and she didn't know exactly how to find it, but she began began her search, and, and she knew all about God, but she really didn't know God as her Savior. Her search finally landed her into the arms of Jesus And she discovered that she could have a personal and living and and, and vital uh, faith in Christ through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and her her faith just came alive. It became her all. She was 100% sold out to Christ. And she was determined that all of her children, all six of us, would come to know Christ as well. At that time, they became my teachers. My parents became my teachers spiritual advisors. They became my confidants and confessors. I can remember many times sitting down with them and discussing theology and and scripture and having prayer together. They were my greatest prayer warriors. Every day they would pray for me, wrestling with the spiritual powers of evil, interceding on my behalf before the throne of Almighty God. I remember some 20 years later, mother discovering that she had lung cancer, Doctors gave her only a few months to live. And I remember one night, about a month before she passed, we sat alone and we talked about life. It's amazing how, in the face of death, all the trivialities are unimportant, old conversations about weather, non existent. When time is short, you don't want to waste your breath on things that don't matter anymore. I remember as as evening came to an end, I said, Mother, would you pray for me? Give me the blessing like Jacob gave to his 12 sons. And I knelt in front of her chair. She laid her hands upon me and prayed for me. She prayed for almost every single area of my life. It is the most precious memory I have of our last days together. My mother, my father, they cheered me on in the faith. Are we cheering our kids on? You know, we invest so much in our kids, in their braces, in their sports, in, in, in their college. How are we investing in their faith life? How are we cheering them on in the pursuit of their faith? You know, God clearly places that responsibility upon, upon the families, discipling the children. The church is here to provide resources, but in the end, it's up to the parents And here at Anderson Hills, we call that orange thinking. And if you've been here for a while, you know that the red symbolizes uh, the parents. It's red because red symbolizes the heart. It symbolizes the passion of, of parents for their children. Because nobody loves your children like you do. The spiritual development of children is first and foremost the responsibility of the family. And we believe that the church is best poised to equip you to do that, to lead, help lead in that process. That our job is to equip the parents and to reinforce what the child is learning at home. The church provides a, a family of people to surround them, a community of love and, and forgiveness, prayer, and, and, of course, examples of holy living. And the church's role is symbolized by the color yellow, It provides, represents God's light that we as the people of God are to shine. And when you combine yellow of the church and and red of the parents, we get the color orange. You see, the church will train and equip the parents to do this. We'll provide other adults and, and peers to help. You see, research has shown that that every child needs five adults to cheer them on in the faith uh, besides their immediate family. And the church can do that. That's one of the reasons why we need so many volunteers in our children and and student ministry. And you don't have to be a a, a biological uh, parent to pass on the faith. We have lots of kids who, who need spiritual mothers and spiritual fathers who can help them. I have two grandchildren who attend here. Both of them attended our preschool. They heard about Jesus there. They all have aunts and uncles and and grandparents who reinforce that. They have Sunday school teachers who, who speak into their lives. They have godparents, Amy and Jeff Tomlinson, who are great examples of how to live the Christian life. They speak into their lives on a regular basis. But We have to start that as parents. We have to start investing early on. Uh, Most of the research that we've read shows that by the age of 13, most of of our beliefs and values have already been set. So we have to start early. And you have to believe in your kids. Our kids need our unconditional love. Now, we do this well in their early life, but there's this natural decline in our belief uh, in our children as they get older. But your kids need you to always believe in them. They never outgrow that need. Pablo Picasso said, my mother said to me, if you become a soldier, you'll become the general. If you become a monk, you'll become the pope. What she was telling uh, Picasso was that whatever he did, he was going to be the best. Now there's nothing wrong with challenging our kids to excel. But listen to how Picasso responded. He said, instead I became a painter and I wound up as Picasso. You see, he became What God wired him to be himself. Nothing more and nothing less. I had parents who believed in me no matter what dumb thing I did. And I did a lot of dumb things. (laughs) But it was their unconditional love that was their greatest gift that they gave me. And we've tried to do the same thing with our kids. and, And I see them doing it in their kids. Cheer your kids on but well, it's not just your kids. In fact, maybe you don't even have any biological kids. Maybe, maybe you're still a kid yourself, but you can still cheer people on. I mean, I, I think of all the people who, who helped me, who are now a, a part of that great cloud of witnesses. I, I think of pastors like Clyde Pinnell, whose picture hangs right outside the wall here, who was my pastor when I was growing up. In, in Athens. I think of other people like Wayne Fowler or my first superintendent, Wesley Clark, or, or Marvin Peterson, who was on staff here uh, many years ago when I came right out of seminary and came here as a youth pastor. I remember the very first day that we met and, and Marvin taking me aside, he said, you know what, I, I, as a rule, I don't like people who, who graduate from Asbury Seminary. Marvin was blunt, wasn't he? But he said, with you, Mark, maybe I'll make an exception. We'll see. And he did. And what a help he was to me. Oh, there are so many examples of this in the Bible, but I think one of my favorites is is Paul and Timothy. Paul had met Timothy on one of his uh, preaching trips through Asia Minor. Uh, you may remember that Timothy was the son of a Jewish woman, and his father was, a Greek, was Greek. And on one of his uh, travels, uh, he came to Timothy's hometown of Lystra, and he spoke at church there. And after the service, uh, uh, his mother, Eunice, invited the preacher home for Sunday supper. And this quiet boy uh, impressed the preacher. He seemed bright and, and mature and had this deep faith in Christ. In fact, he was so impressed that after dinner he said, Timothy, tomorrow Barnabas and I are leaving for Phrygia and Galatia, and I'd like for you to go with us. And so the next day they departed for what proved to be one of Timothy's greatest adventures of his life. And those journeys took him to all the major cities of, of, of the empire Troas and, and Philippi and Thessalonica and Corinth and Ephesus, and of course, Uh, The jewel of them all, Athens and then Rome. You can't help but do a lot of growing up on such an adventure, and the preacher watched with pride as Timothy grew into adulthood and into his spiritual life. Paul began to see that Timothy had been gifted by God for teaching and preaching and leadership in the church. Now, they had planted a church in Ephesus, and things had gone very well, and the church had grown, but now it was time for, for Paul to move on to plant some other churches in, in other towns. But somebody had to stay and give leadership to the church in Ephesus, and that man was Timothy. And so Paul preached his last sermon in that church. He called Timothy to come forward, and the elders, they gathered around him, and they laid hands upon him and set him apart for the work of pastor and teacher in that church. So fast forward several years later. The great apostle now finds himself in in jail for his preaching and sensing that his death is imminent, he takes pen in hand to write one more letter to his young protege, Timothy. And this is what he writes. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve with a clear conscience, as did my fathers, when I remember you constantly in my prayers. And as I remember your tears, I long night and day to see you, that I may be filled with joy. And I'm reminded of your sincere faith. Listen, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois, And your mother Eunice, and now I am sure, dwells in you. You see that faith progression? You see how it happened? Started off with his grandmother Lois, who passed it down to his daughter Eunice, who passed it down to Timothy, her son. And then along comes Paul, sees the potential in this young man, takes them under his arm and helps to develop and equip him in the faith. Who in your business, who in your company, who in your sphere of influence, who in your school needs to be cheered on? Who needs to be mentored? Who needs to be coached along the way? Not just to be a better person at their job, but to be a better person. And not just to be a better person but to be a better Christ follower. What would happen if each and every one of us began to invest in a lost and dying world? You know, you can do it anywhere. What if you invest yourself in in something that's eternal, something that lasts? You know, everything else in this world is temporary, isn't it? I mean, your home someday will be a pile of rubble. Your dream car that you're driving right now will someday be on on the scrap heap but investing yourself in people can make an eternal difference. Now, this requires 100% commitment. It does. I don't want to pull any punches. The writer of Hebrews goes on to say, he says, Let us throw off everything that hinders. He's using that race metaphor. And I've, re- I've run a few races, and I can tell you that every serious runner wants their clothing. And their shoes to be a light as light as possible. If you're running a marathon, you don't want to be carrying a 50-pound backpack. <laughs> you don't want to be wearing combat boots if you're running 26 miles. Now, I've run a few races, and, and if it's a cold morning, at the start. All the runners are trying to stay warm, so they're putting on gloves and, 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 and hats and, and jackets, and then the, the gun sounds, and they take off and run, and, and after they start to warm up, they just start throwing all those things off. They just toss them in the streets. I mean, there's all, all, all sorts of clothing you can find after a road race, people getting rid of them, because they want to be as light as possible. They don't want anything to hold them back. They don't want to be slowed down. Anything slowing you down right now? What do you need to let go of? What would happen if you just made one little shift in your life to free up time so that you could invest in somebody else? And maybe you're thinking, you know, pastor, we're, we're empty nesters now. I don't want to go back to, to that. <laughs> My kids are grown. They're out of the house. But think how different history might have been if Timothy's mother and grandmother had not passed on the faith to him. What if Paul had not come along, seen the potential in this young man and invited him to come along on his travels, on his journeys? What if he had never mentored and coached him? See, the people around you, they need you. The children of this church will not be Christ followers if we're not intentionally passing on of faith to them I've done my best to pass it on to my kids I pray that they will pass it on to their kids but we need to do our best to pass it on to others so that when our time here on earth is done and we join that great crowd of witnesses there will be people that we leave behind who will be grateful for the legacy that you leave Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for that great cloud of witnesses that surround us even now. Those great saints, our family, our friends, those who have gone on before us. God, we give you thanks. They took the time to to help us along the way. God, give us eyes to see those people that we have influence. Help us to see, God, how we might invest in their lives. We pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that we might so live a life of holy example to others. That they will want to have that same faith that same love and joy in their life. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen.